Welcome to Evil Anti-Matterpod, a Mirror Universe podcast where we discuss evil fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week we're discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 9, Terra Firma Part 1, but in a really dark, violent sort of way. <laughs> I'm just weirdly happy to be back in the mirror universe and I don't think I've had this this much fun in, in Star Trek fandom hanging out with my friends and, and making jokes as I have since season one we were all dancing in the streets you know virtually and pretend but in the pretend <laughs> streets six feet away from each other we were dancing I may have, because I watched it on the train on the way to work, and I may have sort of, uh, there may have been a spring in my step as I walked from the station to the office. It was just so fun. Everyone was playing everything at like a 15 or higher on a scale of 1 to 10, and it was just so wonderful to watch. And it was such a good balance of outrageous camp and spectacle and ridiculous mirror universe shenanigans and really important and even subtle character stuff yes I, just just delight and that's just the final you know half that's the second half of the episode we open with eyeballs and david cronenberg <laughs> oh what a good time it's, it's <laughs> everything everything it was like the whole uh, beginning part which Yes, we start with Dave and Cronenberg in eyeballs, and then, you know, we go into everything that happens with, like, the possible exception of Vance, Saru, and Book, who are, like, the straight men in the, mm. uh, in the whole episode. <laughs> they all think they're in a regular episode. Yeah, they all think they're in a regular episode, but everybody else, from the beginning, everything has this sort of, like, sheen of surrealism about it. Right, right. Like, you get to the snowy planet and Captain Brass from CSI is there and it's like, okay, cool, I'm going to go along with this. <laughs> with a door in the middle of the snow and, and he's just, you know, hanging. There, It was like, this is very Doctor Who. This is very yes. Once Upon a Time. This is like, it was just, and yet, yes, it was, it was Captain Brass from CSI uh, or... You know, he's been in a lot of things, but I... Oh, yeah, he's a character actor with a very long career. 15 seasons of CSI is a lot, and so it's hard to, like, dismiss that. My understanding is that he loves Star Trek, and so I'm very happy for him. And, uh, oh, that's fantastic! What I liked, since we're talking about him, it was it was strange at first, but then the more I thought about it, the more I really liked it, uh, that he sort of was doing this kind of... Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Thing, you know? And I was like, oh, so he's either like related to the, and this, you know, the spear data link sent them there. So he's related in some way to that whole stuff, or like she created him, or he's a, he's a hologram. Like I was just like, there's something crazy going on here. And even if it's like, he's an actual person and he is not related to the computer in any way. <laughs> the fact that they have the parallels, like, mm. is really fun to me. It, it's like, these are 
thematic things that we're supposed to be thinking. As crazy as this episode is, and as messy as the structure is, I never felt like the writers didn't know what they were doing. Mm. Right. Like, everything was deliberate. This was written by Erica Lapolt and Bo Yon Kim, who are my favourite Discovery writers, and also surprised the showrunners for the Section 31 series. <laughs> so, super looking forward to that. Track Corps review of this episode was extremely negative. They called it muddled and unnecessarily confusing. I think they were wrong. A lot of the commenters think they were wrong. But if you go onto their review and just scroll past all the opinion bits, they have amassed a pretty amazing amount of evidence to suggest that Captain Brass is the Guardian of Forever. Interesting. But in a subtle way that's probably still going to get them sued by Harlan Ellison's angry ghost, because that's what he does. <laughs> Harlan Ellison's angry ghost. I have this weird relationship with City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah, I so, actually don't like it. It's so beloved, and it's not my favorite episode of the original series. Sorry. No, in fact, we discussed yesterday that we should do an episode yes. after this season about how it is not, in fact, good. Yeah, so let's <laughs> let's discuss it in depth, and we can just let it go for now. But so I, yeah. not being someone who writes for Trek Core, and they're like known for this. Their their big like their deal is picking out these subtle nods to everything. Oh else yeah, in Star it's Trek. why I love them. Right, so. that and their very patient and good humored social media team. Right. I, I mean, they're great. Uh, but so I'm really glad that they did that work for me because I definitely wouldn't have gotten it. I was, like I said, I was on the he's a evil queen slash Doctor Who mm. slash Captain Brass slash part of Sphere data <laughs> personification. And uh, and I, I did not for um, un, until I saw everybody talking about it. I didn't think of the Guardian forever at all. No, and in fact, I kind of sat there on the train and yesterday evening watching it again, thinking, I don't need to know who, who Captain Brass is or what his deal is. Like, this is the franchise that gave us Abraham Lincoln floating in space. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes a little mystery is good, and the setting is so far in the future that sure, this could be a planet-wide hologram, or the manifestation of some vast intelligence. Yeah. And that's even without getting into the really obvious fanboy things like it's Q or whatever. I mean, clearly, whatever that being is, it can manifest in a way that the people it's communicating with understands. That's, right. that's what I maybe, take. <laughs> maybe it's a caretaker. It's, it's not a you know, 1930s man from New York. Mm. Like, that's not, mm. that's not who he actually is. Like, I, I, I feel like I'm not going on on a limb saying that Carl is not a human from the past. Are you has, sure? Like, you know, showed up <laughs> on, on, on the... So, my, that's a... So, so he's something. He's something else. And... You're right, we don't need to know what else. Because, again, I am very capable of coming into the story and being like, oh yeah, he's an annoying man who's there to annoy them with riddles. Yeah. And and they're human, so he's human. And they're, you know, like, 
it's it's playing on on their and that's why like the Buster Keaton stuff comes in again like that's something that happened on Discovery and so yeah. it's there like these people like Giorgio did watch the movie right remember oh, she, she was did, she was yes. hanging out with Linus and and was sort of like annoyed but still paying attention and so that's why I feel like there's something there that they're mm. they're creating it for her whoever or whatever it is that is doing it and similarly I don't believe for even a second that she has literally time traveled oh, and no. topped a universe nope. I think this is a simulation or even a pocket universal bubble reality created from her memories mm-hmm. and, and hence you know the sort of uncanonical bits like she's killing Stamets but he was alive and well and in a coma so not that well actually when we actually visited yes and I agree I I don't think that there's time travel involved in this part at all I like the idea of it being like a reality but not a reality that can affect reality Reality well, a lot there, he but. did say, you know, her, her little Fitbit is going to stay green, but there are other things that can kill you. Like, if you mm. die in the mirror universe, you die in, the, in real life. But in, in that way, it also reminds me of the chapter in the last Harry Potter where he dies and goes to the train station to talk with Dumbledore. Yeah. It had, it had that feeling with, with it, sort of like you're in between life and death and and you're you know you're living out things and and also someone um suggested tapestry the tng episode yeah i keep thinking of remember me and the bubble universe that wesley accidentally creates where that's created around beverly's uh, mm-hmm. ideas and memories and right. basically there's a personalized simulation there's lots of ways star trek ways this could go yeah and yeah and all of them are great, so it works out. <laughs> I, I don't understand why people are so hung up on the idea that it's real, but, you know, a lot of fanboys seem to really dislike this episode, which is another way it reminded me of season one. <laughs> and, you know, this is not a subtle show. When they explain themselves, there's not going to be a lot of mystery left. Right? There's, there's exactly, there's really nothing subtle about the way Discovery is told. It's very high melodrama and over the top in bread and circuses and that was again like i said amped up to those high as it could go for the second half of this episode and that's why it was so great to me like right that's what i love about discovery (laughs) so i enjoyed your note that we had literal bread and circuses (laughs) in the form of the christening of the cow because it's not actually literal I think I cut out the bit where I said that I am, in fact, a purist about that. <laughs> Look. Oh. Language changes. I know. There was a literal circus. I stand by that, okay? There was an evil Cirque du Soleil and some very bad poetry for which Stamus absolutely deserved to die. <laughs> It was so, I, you know, obviously the Terran universe has sort of always been modeled after the Roman Empire. Oh, yeah. But they're, they're just, like, really running away with it. They're, they're going in, in the blood sport <laughs> instead of Kira in a hot tub. 
way of doing things, and I applaud that. It's so great to have a mirror universe that's, whose depiction is not based wholly on really cheesy and exploitative depictions of only female mm. bisexuality. Like here, the only sexuality we have is Michael talking about her evil heterosexual relationship with Lorca. And yeah, she's like, oh yeah, I slept with him, but I got bored. And Giorgio's <laughs> face is like, I know you're lying, but also you're t telling the truth. He is not good in bed. <laughs> and I've been joking about this for more than 24 hours now, and I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. It's just so good. It's so good. It's really great. <laughs> it's such a great dig at Lorca and her, you know, I, I love Lorca, really. But he, I love that they turn him into a buffoon by the end of the season and, and are continuing that. Like, it just makes me so giddy and happy that Giorgio is getting, like, a full-on think about who you are and, and what you want storyline. Mm. And Lorca continues to be the clown who fails to kill her. <laughs> I am also delighted by that. And, like, she's realised to her horror that she's in a redemption arc. She's not happy about it. But she's still only barely a good person. Lorca versus Giorgio is like Trump versus Mitt Romney. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm going to go out and say, I have to, I, ca I can't let that pass. Giorgio <laughs> is better than Mitt Romney. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just trying to think of a Republican who's less evil than Trump. It was very good. Uh, Mitt Romney is one of the most moral Republicans right now, which is oh God. sad. <laughs> but uh, he thinks he's good. And Giorgio... Knows she's not, and that's what I love about her. No, I, I think that's true. She has no illusions, and in the first scenes of the episode, she is basically turning into the middle school bully and tipping Tilly's lunch all over her because how dare Tilly be nice to her? And, and I see a lot of people going, why are we as the audience meant to care about this character? Which is a very subjective thing. But they're also asking why do the crew of Discovery care about Giorgio? And my answer is because they're not psychopaths. Yeah. She lives with them. She eats with them. She has saved their lives on multiple occasions. Yes. She's not a nice person, but she's their not nice person. Yeah, she's their not a nice person. And I love that they're saying that the Federation, I guess, or Starfleet, or humanity, or people, galactic people of the galaxy, have come to a point in evolution where mm. they don't just, that where people are allowed to grow and change, and also you can accept that everyone has flaws, and some people's flaws are really terrible, but that doesn't mean that they're completely worthless. Like, right. There is a there is a spectrum in between. I see a lot of people calling Giorgio Space Hitler, and I really dislike that because unlike Hitler, she had no say in mm -hmm. the to in, in the totalitarian society that she grew up in, yep. and this is the culture that she grew up surrounded by, and 
she never really had a choice. That's what I've been saying since forever. If you exist in a culture where this is what you're taught and this is the only way to survive... Mm, exactly. Then it takes a huge amount of ignoring your reality to work against that. Like, it just... And it sounds like that they already thought she was weak, Lorca and, right. and Michael. That she was already being less cutthroat than she was supposed to be. I can imagine a Giorgio who, like, clawed her way to power over a thousand bodies and then was like, what if we had a better society? <laughs> <laughs> but she couldn't make that happen because you, her position of power is so precarious anyway, you know, still. Yeah. And even when she tries to do something good for someone, like, you know, adopting an orphan child from an alleged garbage heap, that that act alone is enough to turn that child against her because in loving that child, she is showing unforgivable weakness. Right, exactly. And so imagine living in that society. Like, the, the fact that showing any kindness to literally mm. anyone, even an orphaned child, <laughs> is is an act of weakness. And it's kind of why you don't really want to think about the mirror universe too much or else you start to think so many human achievements were built on, you know, collaboration and cooperation and how does that work in the mirror universe? Just don't think about it, okay? They <laughs> put their differences aside for the common evil. I mean, not to, not to go back to poor Mitt Romney, but... But uh, I look around at my society where <laughs> we... Okay, so you live in Australia mm. where you're allowed to go out into a crowd of a thousand people and without a mask. I don't know if a thousand, but I can, I, can, I can go to work now. It's very exciting. And uh, I am planning yeah. to isolate in my house for 10 days before Christmas so that I can go see my brothers. <laughs> I think that's very responsible of you. And the thing is that at least half of this country doesn't care. <laughs> they, they are upset yeah. about having to stay inside like me or or you know they're not but they're upset that someone is suggesting that they stay inside and and so like i get where the terran empire comes from <laughs> it's it's the again amping it up all the way mm. that disconnect between my what i desire and having a stable society <laughs> that like, is, like, for the benefit of the society. <laughs> like, they, they, people don't seem to want a society. They don't want a community. They don't want a group. They just care about themselves. I wish I had any evidence to <laughs> like, argue against you with. <laughs> That's just how I feel. So, America is the mirror universe. Yeah. I mean, but without the fun stuff, like, um, no, actually, I can see Americans playing party games with agonizers. 
But yeah. I reckon it would take two beers before a bunch of Australians joined in. So no judgment. <laughs> okay, it sounds like we're, I mean, that was kind of sad. So <laughs> let's go back to being happy about this episode. <laughs> but I guess my point is also that if we as people, as Americans or humans, can have compassion for Emperor Georgiou, then, then maybe we'll get out of this. I am not going to judge anyone for not liking her or for thinking that she should be punished more or for being upset that she's on the show. That's a mm. personal, you know, choice, personal interests, and, and everyone is allowed to have them. Absolutely. But the fact is that the show wants us to have compassion for her. That's the story they're telling. And truthfully, I think she has earned it purely through her relationship. Well, no, no, she hasn't earned it. She's really done nothing to deserve a redemption arc, and that is why it's good. Like, I'm friends with a lot of Raylos, and... One of them, my friend RJ Anderson, is a children's author and a Christian, and part of her theology is that no one deserves a redemption arc, but they should have the opportunity anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think Georgiou is a sterling example of that. Yeah, exactly. Unlike Gal Ducat or the Emperor Palpatine, she is reluctantly and crankily seizing that chance. Right, exactly. That if you give some, if you give the villain or the monster or the dragon the chance to make better choices, like that's that's how you tell if if they're worth your time. Yes, because if they start making the better choices or even acknowledging that they exist. Mm. That, that there is a, the possibility of a different way, that they don't have to kill everyone, they only have to kill certain ones, you know, it's like, <laughs> they, we, we get slowly baby steps until eventually you get to a person who is never going to be good, maybe, never going to be like a... A sterling example of humanity? But <laughs> that doesn't mean that they're, like... The thing about uh, not deserving redemption arcs, and that's totally true, because redemption isn't something you deserve, and it's not even really something you earn. It's something that that is given to you. Forgiveness is something that is given to you. Yeah. I think there is a separate question about whether a question a character has narratively earned their redemption arc, but I think with Georgiou we can see that it's enough that they are loved, and that's a starting point. And you know who was given the opportunity for redemption and actively rejected it? Lorca! Exactly. I just waved my coffee around and narrowly missed spilling it, so well done. And, uh, and the thing... Talking with my hands. And again, like, I just... I am... I cannot get over how much I loved Lorca's comeuppance because it was the opposite of what I expected. I expected yeah. Lorca to... Be, you know, oh, I've been hanging out with these Starfleet people for two years or whatever, and now I've become better, you know? And, like, no. <laughs> he 100% <laughs> rejected that idea from the get-go. N- nothing that anyone did affected 
his idea of I am going to go back to my universe, I am going to finish murdering <laughs> Giorgio, and I'm going to be in charge. That's all he wanted. And he didn't let anything get in his way. And then Giorgio was saved by that one, you know, split second decision on, on Michael that she couldn't let go and she couldn't let it happen again. And she is there. <laughs> she's yeah. present. She is listening to the crew, even if she's even if she's arguing with them and even if she's spitting on them, she's still a part of it. You know the idea that incels and turfs and QAnon people, they want you to debate them because that is how they spread their message. Well, it's sort of gone the opposite way for Giorgio. She has debated the Federation and she is hearing their message and a part of her believes it. She's basically joining a cult. <laughs> the Starfleet cult. We are Look. Starfleet. <laughs> I mean, Book is also trying to join the cult, so. And the cult is like, hey, read the manual. Shall we move on to that side of the discussion? We can sure. come back to mirror universe shenanigans as they occur to us. Yeah. But I just, you uh... compared them in the notes to Neelix and Janeway, and you're not the first person to do so. I'm just going to use the word sexy Neelix again because it makes people so angry. I really enjoyed Saru in this episode, even though I was just like, no. No to your your entire thing with Vance. No to your entire thing with Tilly. <laughs> no to your entire thing with Buck. Like, you're just making all the wrong choices, through. I just feel like... This is the episode where Vance goes, no, Saru is actually a really bad captain and I just have to keep everything under control until Michael and Tilly can I mean, take over. I loved, I, okay, so I wrote here in our notes, Saru's continued adventures as a new captain whose mentors are all dead and gone. Yeah. <laughs> Which is true. And so it's not like, and also like one of his mentors was Lorca. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I do think we can see signs of in his willingness to abandon Giorgio. Right. So, so it's sort of like Saru is in a bad place, and mm. but he's that doesn't uh, forgive the fact that he continues to make ridiculous choices, and uh, like it's just like that was an interesting decision, Saru. And but was kind of fun, I guess. Maybe is the word. I don't know. I think that. There was a undercurrent of mm. the theme of duty in this episode. Yeah. Where, you know, Vance got Michael to promise that she wouldn't not kill someone. <laughs> <laughs> Which, okay. And then Saru telling Book that he basically has to, like, take classes. <laughs> In, in Starfleet before he can be a part of the crew. And, like, he doesn't even want to be a part of, like, he doesn't want a uniform and a rank and, and a position. No. He just wants to, like, not not leave. <laughs> and But he still apparently has to go through a rigmarole in order to, uh, to be accepted. Maybe and, it's like if you're entering a building site, you need to do some sort of induction so you understand the basic protocol and safety stuff. I, I mean, that makes sense. That does make sense. But 
But if that was the case, you'd think they would have done it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and Stuart didn't sell it that way at all. No. It was like, no, you can't be in my club until you prove that you're worthy. <laughs> and, and it just reminded me of, say, like job searching and you go mm. to five to ten page online form mm. and it asks you every question that's on your resume but you still have to input everything and yes. also attach your resume and also <laughs> attach a cover letter that is like written for this job and it's like they're making you go through all of this nonsense and my take is that it's to prove that you're willing to do all this nonsense and that means like you're a good employee because that's you're willing exactly. to do all that stupid stuff that is unnecessary there is no reason why you have to do things twice in order to you know apply to this job but it's no no it required. is literally literally uh can you follow basic instructions yes yeah. sort of thing what i was reminded of yeah. And this is maybe one of our more ridiculous comparisons, but the episode of the Babysitter's Club where Claudia wants to bring Stacy in as a new member and <laughs> Christy puts her through all those tests. And now that I'm saying it out loud, I actually think this happened with Dawn, not Christy. <laughs> yeah, not it, was, it was Dawn. It was Dawn because Stacy yeah. was one of the original. And, but, and the reasoning was, and this is, this is important, the reasoning hmm. was that... Dawn was friends with Marianne, and Marianne was Christie's best friend, and she didn't want to share. Yes. And that's exactly and why Saru is doing it. <laughs> Saru as Christy Thomas is not a leap I expected to make today, but I think that's one of the things that makes recording this podcast such joy. And it's good. It's really good. I like it. Mm, mm, mm. And, uh, and honestly, Book is a really good Dawn. <laughs> like, this is, <laughs> this is amazingly well thought out <laughs> for, for an off-the-hand comparison. But uh, and continuing, then we get to the Mirror Universe, and almost the first thing that happens is Killy telling Georgiou, look, you got to follow the protocols. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, Erica and Boyan are just so good. It's so good. I just good. want to buy them a drink and tell them how much I like their work. So yeah, and and you know, else by the end, it's uh, is Giorgio is basically like she's she's telling Michael, I mean, you know, you gotta come back on my side. You gotta come back yeah. over to this the, the way that we do things and stop. Stop this nonsense and, and come over and read the protocol, read, read the, the rule book and follow these but rules. She's, she's also offering Michael a redemption arc. No. And it's going to break her heart when her Michael refuses it. It's just, it's very sad. It's very sad. And I think the whole, the whole depiction of Mira Michael is so sad because she's so much she's broken in a way that prime michael for all of her problems really isn't and and i just think of this poor girl who would rather be the playground bully on an alleged trash heap mm. than live her life of privilege and comfort mm -hmm. in her mother's shadow i think that is that is so sad and makes her so vulnerable to someone like Lorca, and she really believes that he loves her <laughs> which is which, <laughs> He... I think he thinks he loves her, but 
I think his only real love is for his right hand and a version of Michael who only exists in his head. Yeah, and I like even if even if you believe that he like noticed her and started grooming her in order to get her on his side and away from her mother cuz that like that's a really good ally to have, mm. right? Mm. And then decided he was in love. Like even if you believe the love story, it still has really terrible like right. horrible connotations right. involved in it. Right. I ship it, but I ship it because it's messed up. Yeah, because and it's there, really bad. There is a part of me that wants to throw my theories out the window and have Prime Season 3 Michael jump through the door and ends up going toe-to-toe with Mira Lorcan. Because one, I think that would be so interesting and she's grown so much since he was around. But also I kind of ship it a bit. <laughs> Sorry, book. Just, you know. Girls love a bad boy. Uh, do we expect to see Jason Isaacs next week? I don't. My first thought was that definitely not, because I think the story goes perfectly well without him, and I worry that if he were brought back, it would either be for a silly cameo, or it would just overshadow the story that they're actually telling, which mm-hmm. is about women. On the other hand, Aristophanes listened to a podcast back in May where Jason Isaacs said something like, I've done Star Trek recently. And it didn't, it it either meant two years ago or three years ago in 2017, or he meant he, I don't know, turns (laughs) up for three seconds and catches a sword through the heart. And and don't get me wrong, I would be delighted. I would would laugh so hard. I think Philippa's having a bad day, and she deserves to stab Lorca through the heart a second time. As a treat. This is a good place to say I was so excited to see Landry again. I know! I'm like, please just bring her with you. (laughs) Bring her through the portal. They need a security person. (laughs) Like, I, I, because I just love her. Mm. more for like not the character that actually exists in any way but I just was very very happy to see her and I want her to always show up (laughs) to continue to just keep popping up that would be great one of my friends is a very big Landry Tilly shipper and so it really excites me for her sake that Landry served on Discovery under Captain Killy for a while oh good joy like that you know it's sort of like and there therefore there's precedent for jason isaac showing back up but no offense to reka sharma who i love she's not but jason isaac <laughs> is a different caliber of actor yeah or, or maybe he's a just, different caliber it, of celebrity to be a, as as playing you know like he would cost more basically yeah and I, it and require a lot of a lot more stuff like his contract would be a bigger deal that and i think they'd have to go to more effort to conceal his presence yeah so i just i can't and you know I, I yeah sure okay they could they could hide it and they could but i can't imagine him appearing in a way that would be satisfying to me uh three seconds and a sword through the heart would be satisfying to me but I realise that I just enjoy watching him get stabbed uh, to an inappropriate degree. 
I, th- I think that the discussion, like the, the quote-unquote discourse over three mm. seconds and the sword through the heart would make that not fun for me. <laughs> it would, oh, it would turn something that was satisfying into something that made me want to throw my hair. Throw yourself out a window? Like, yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Okay, yeah, you've talked me around. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, no, if he turns up, I'm going to assume that it is a wonderful gift just for me and for Aristophanes. Mm. And if he doesn't, that's fine. The story doesn't need it. Likewise, I would enjoy seeing Jane Brooke as Mira Cornwell. And here's where I confess that when I downloaded the episode on Thursday night, I put it on my iPad and then I scrubbled through it to make sure I had the whole file and I wouldn't be stuck on the train with half an episode. And I saw Mira Landry and I immediately went to the end credits to see if Jane Brooke was there. <laughs> but that's okay. I'm also quite okay if Mira Cat never appears because I have a lot of quite elaborate yet conflicting headcanons about her and I'm quite happy to keep them. Mm-hmm. Fair. I, I have my own headcanons and yeah, she wouldn't show up. <laughs> and then, so, so that's okay. Sorry to everyone who had really strong Mira Michael is a good person headcanons. Yeah. Oops. She sure did blind those artists. Oh, yeah, that was one of the things where, and it, that part, that really came off to me as she blind, blinded those artists because, you know, like, not just to show her superiority, but it was also, like, vindictive. Oh, it, yeah. It was a power play spe- specifically to annoy her mother and upset like the balance mm. and like it was how dare you <laughs> like this thing <laughs> with it no M- mira michael really seems to be a beauty doesn't exist here so stop type of person that and it was interesting to me how she speaks in terms of commodities and wealth and this is something that Giorgio said back when she first met prime michael and thinks she's her daughter you know i gave you I gave you luxury, I gave you money. Mm. The capitalism of the mirror universe is very interesting. Well, like I said. <laughs> yes, yes. It's based on America. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's why capitalism is going to destroy us all. And how. But yeah, Michael blending that with such casual cruelty, and it is a dig against her mother that she can justify in terms of capitalism, it starts to feel like an episode of Succession or Mm. any sort of drama about the very wealthy and powerful and morally bankrupt. And Giorgio's... I think that's the moment where Giorgio realises that, A, she has vastly overestimated her daughter's capacity for anything good, Mm. and B, she kind of wants to go home to the Federation. <laughs> Give me back the other Michael. <laughs> the one that I was yelling at 15 minutes ago. Turns out she's the good one. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I loved was uh, she's talking in the early scenes about how she would have counted it a privilege to be killed by her Michael mm-hmm. and then immediately does everything to ensure that she won't be. Right. Like, Giorgio's denial is extraordinary. I loved the line when they're wandering around in the snow and Michael's like, don't worry, we're going to get there. And Giorgio says, 
you, you know, don't put on a show for for me. My Michael would never do that. She would have already found us, you know, the thing that we're looking for. <laughs> it's like she would we wouldn't be here in the snow because she's better than you. And much like when she was talking with Saru and when she was talking with Tilly, it really came off as Giorgio clinging to these false reality mm. that that it was better over there and that she knows on a certain level all of those people tried to kill her <laughs> so it wasn't better over there no no but i think you know in season one we were told that no one in the mirror universe is certain of michael's fate and she could plausibly be alive mm. but at some point, Giorgio has confessed to Michael that she did, in fact, kill her own daughter mm-hmm. uh, and pulls out a sword. And you notice that both both universes have Giorgio holding a sword to Michael's throat. Mm. It's, it's just so good. <laughs> but I think her level, her level of guilt over having to execute her daughter and then her denial that she feels guilt is... Just so interesting. It's so, oh, I just want to give her a hug. It's, <laughs> Tilly did it for me. Yeah, it's powerful. It's like, of course she would feel guilty about that. And of course she wouldn't want to acknowledge it. Yeah. You know, this is, well, I, I, I know I keep mentioning Vader, but I love Vader. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and I, she really completely resembles the... Vader that exists in my mind and my fantasies that survived and has to deal with all the horrible things he's done. Right. And like, it's, you, he doesn't want, like, even the Vader that exists is someone who has a lot of unresolved feelings about everything that happened with Obi-Wan. And like, forget Padme and Luke and Leia, but even just Obi Wan is a is so, mm. so there and present. If you watch the original trilogy, he's constantly talking about Obi Wan. He's not over it, even after he kills him. <laughs> so, it's. I really thought killing my mentor would make would, <laughs> would, make... would help set these memories at peace, and it's weird how that hasn't worked out. Right. So it's just. Giorgio is is dealing with all of this stuff that villains never deal with because they either remain villains or they die. I, I, I really do think this is this is the story of how Giorgio becomes a reluctant hero or semi hero. Mm-hmm. Something something less evil. Something less evil. Have you seen this week's Mandalorian? I have, yes. <laughs> Well, that reminds me of, of this week's Mandalorian, because we have the former Imperial. Yeah. Who, you know, it's so it's a really good episode. Not to like, okay, spoilers for the Mandalorian, and I promise It'll to keep this short. It'll have been out for a while by the time this is released. <laughs> I, I promise to keep this short. But they are rescued, so they're like fighting off pirates, and they're rescued by the Empire, and they get to the Imperial base and all of the, you know, low level Imperials are like cheering them and, and you know, slapping their, their yeah, hands yeah. because they did this thing that like, basically Imperials are not expected to be heroic in every way, in any way. And like, choose to actually 
fend off the pirates. They're expected to die. <laughs> like, that's what Imperial soldiers do. You know, grunts. And yeah, yeah. And instead they have Mando in disguise and he can actually shoot. He can so, do it. Whoops. <laughs> but then, and you know, so they, they get to a point where the Imperial officer is like toasting them and that whole, like, it's so it's weird. It's like surreal because you're like, the Empire saved them and now the Empire's happy and this is weird, but you, I kind of feel badly for these stormtroopers who never had a hero before <laughs> like it, it was i was feeling all these weird imperial feelings and mm -hmm. then you know the, in, the imperial officer is horrible he's like uh, you know he's a he's one of palpatine's guys you know he's yeah he's true a evil he's 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 the worst and our criminal just shoots him right in the head and starts a whole fire and then blows them all up like all those people that i was feeling bad about get mm. destroyed by the end of that episode but it's like so there's really interesting questions of you know like there's a moral ambiguity involved in all of it and, right and there is you know other than mando None of the people involved are someone you can just 100% root for. <laughs> like, none of them. Hey, the people on his side and the, the criminals and mm. the Imperials. Like, you can be against a lot of them, but to be fully for them is harder. And I just love those stories that are in between the moral high road. And even Mando himself, season one is basically oh, his yeah. redemption arc. He starts out as a guy who is killing people for fun, basically. And through his connection with the child and the people he meets along the way, he becomes a better person mm -hmm. who is not an indiscriminate killer in search of his next bounty. Right. So it's just, I love that both shows are tackling these issues that have always been there. They're, right. They've always been a part of both Star Wars and Star Trek, but they're, they're teasing them out and making them blatant. I mean, like, yo, the Republic would, did not come out good in this episode either because they were, like, forcing the prisoners to work in what looks like really poor conditions to me i know and i know it was like a droid so they could never like you couldn't make an appeal to anyone's feelings ever you know like it's just a droid we so. watched that going, we really hope Leia is pursuing some kind of agenda of prison reform in the New Republic, because <laughs> like, this is terrible. This is really bad. So that, that's... The carceral state oh, in so the good. galaxy far, far away. So and, the, and, the, and the criminal, too, was like, you know, I don't really see a difference between the, the Republic and the Empire. The, and yeah. I've, I've said that as well. Like, that's my whole Han Solo thing, is like, look, you can't be upset with people who are just trying to survive in this in this galaxy like even luke starts the series planning to attend yeah. the imperial academy and become a pilot he could have been another x-wing um tie fighter pilot so it's all it's all great and and georgia was is getting that same that same thing we get to have georgia saying you know look 
they, they, the Terran Empire is, is evil and, and I'm evil because of it. And like, you know, so stop trying to make me a good person. But then she gets there and she, like the moment when she sees Saru and is like, oh my God, Saru was, was <laughs> on this ship and I probably mm. ate him. Mm. And, and I, I never, she never saw Saru before. And now she literally like sees Saru. And understands that he is a person. I really recommend the reviews of selinak.dreamwith.org. And one of the things she said about this episode was, it's not Jojo's capacity to love that redeems her here. Because she's always had that. It's the seed that Michael saw at the beginning. But now, after her time in the Federation, she can see her slaves as people. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was, you know saying the New Republic is bad is because they were dehumanizing all of those people. <laughs> all, oh, of yeah. the, all of their prisoners. And so it's, it's just, it's, ugh, I just really, well done. It was a very good day for me. It was a very mm. good. Uh, just that whole 24 hours, yeah. even without factoring in the various Disney announcements. And it's like, pay your fucking writers, Disney. Alan Dean Foster signed a contract entitling him to law- to royalties. He should get those royalties. But at the same time, I'm kind of excited for the various... Not all of the series, but the... But I, that's but why it's so them. good. I'm going to say it here right. too. I keep saying it. I'm going to keep saying it until people are tired of hearing it. But this <laughs> is why I prefer quantity over quality. Because quality is subjective. It's, ba- you know, the person who's making it has a different standard for quality than the people who are watching it. They're... And standards of quality are often uh, determined by interests, straight white people. Yeah. So, right, exactly. And the, and the audience that they're going for is never going to be me. Like, yeah. <laughs> at, or, you know, 80% of, of the people watching. But when you have quantity when you have here have 10 new star wars series here have 10 new marlo series here Mm. have 10 new star trek series when you have all of that then you get to pick and choose which ones to watch you get to be like oh i i'm this kind of fan and so i'm gonna go watch that one i like comedy so i'm gonna go over here i like mystery i like noir you know there's there's so much more opportunity for someone to find something that they like that they love, that they become a fan of, like, and also that they see themselves in. There's the more chances you have to add as many people as possible into your property is exactly like that will always be my preference. And so every single person who's saying there's too much and, and it's, it's, we're saturating the, whatever it's like no there are so many stories left to be told and just because they don't cater to you that doesn't mean they don't cater to someone and that's kind of what we were saying before lower deck said that we didn't think it would be for us and that's okay and i do think that so so far star trek under kurtzman has done quite a good job of putting out series which are sharply different from one another whereas i think Parts of the 90s Trek work, worked well, but the network's in- insistence that Voyager would essentially be TNG yes. 2.0 right. really, really overshadows yeah. all the good in that series. Right. It was like, 
somehow Deep Space Nine, and even it didn't even only it only sort of escaped, <laughs> but but you know being we are the same. They're all yeah. very much we are the same, and it, and the and this whole like these people who are like it's not Star Trek, and it's like. Mm. The, yeah, it 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 is Star Trek because they're saying it's Star Trek and these are the stories they're telling. And just because it's not the story that you would tell and it's not the story that you watched when you were 12 and it's not the story that you want necessarily doesn't mean that it's not a story that is about Star Trek that is good for other people. Right, right. Uh, and, you know, I've, I think I've said before, I'm pretty much over superheroes, but I'm still really into the space opera side of the MCU. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor uh, have mm. always been my favorites because that's like, like, that's my niche. Yes. Uh, um, but also, like, I got to say, Ant-Man surprised me more than any oh, other yeah. MCU I movie. I really enjoyed that. I was making fun. I was like, no one wants to see Ant-Man. Right. <laughs> and then I watched it and I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> Let's talk about Saru's joy that the ghost ship is Kelpian, or at least its captain is Kelpian. And I'm looking at him, looking at her and going, this is the second time this season that I've shipped Saru with a woman on the basis that they're standing near each other. And I really think I need to stop my automatic head shipping. It's becoming a problem. <laughs> they're also like, they're not standing near each other and she's dead. <laughs> Like, shh, not to ship it anyway. <laughs> okay. That's fine. You, you go, you go. You ship, ship, ship away. <laughs> Speaking of ridiculous ships, I had this moment of real sadness that Captain Killy can never meet Mirror Universe Rin because he's 900 years in the future and also she'd probably eat him if she met him. <laughs> yeah, that is sad. I know. Aww. I really, I really love Captain Killy <laughs> a lot. I enjoyed how Mary Wiseman as Captain Killy is quite different from Mary Wiseman as Tilly posing as Captain Killy. Yes. And, and same with Sonequa Martin-Green as Mira Michael versus Michael pretending to be Mira Michael. Like, just these subtle performances. And particularly in Captain Killy, she is more anxious than, I think... Tilly realized and she's more of a rule follower mm. and I also wonder if because this is all Giorgio's perspective mm. if this is something Giorgio is recognizing for the first time as well having met prime Tilly mm-hmm. yeah I, that's like the other thing is that this is the first time she saw her slaves as people but it's also like this mm. is the the first time that she saw her people as people. Like, yeah, really, Giorgio only cared about Michael and, like, cared about other people, you know, on a certain level or, like, admired other, you know, things in other people. But she was really pretty focused on Michael. And yeah. now this there's this whole crew, a whole ship full of people that won't go away. Just, uh, we've also never had Giorgio as the point of view character. A and we've never seen the Terran universe through a Terran's eyes. Yes. Like, these are both significant firsts to me. It, it, yeah, and and you're, it's definitely setting up her show, and that's... Mm. Uh, I just want to say I really hope that her show is not set in the Mirror Universe. <laughs> 
because all my instincts say that it is go that would be too much. Like I love visiting it for short stints, but I think full time mirror universe is I just... don't think section thirty one exists in the in the mirror universe unless like they're the good guys. I, I assume okay. they're like a pro democracy and kitten appreciation club. Yeah. <laughs> they would have to be secretly working to bring about harmony. Which Yeah is weird <laughs> yeah but now that now that you've pointed this out i think it's an unlikely possibility uh i'm just braced for like 23rd century oh, blah 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 yeah i mean yeah which yeah what like i i do i just honestly do not see the point of that because they erased discovery <laughs> so who is she who is she even well, maybe that's part of the tension. Maybe Section 31 is Jojo uh, unerasing Discovery. Well, that would be good. Like, she just, <laughs> episode one, she walks in, punches Spock in the face, walks out. <laughs> and everyone's worried about him, and he's like, no, no, I deserved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've been needing that. It was, it was only logical. Uh, but if I can very quickly circle back to something you said about uh, Mary Wiseman and Sneakro Martin Green's performances, mm-hmm. I I just want to point out that Michelle Yeoh played Mir Giorgio pretending to be Captain Giorgio and like was purposefully bad at it. And I just oh, yeah. really like that too. It's like we get these different layers of people playing and you know she was very early in her journey and she was just you know she was she was trying to annoy people like she was trying to get one over on everybody you know she she right. wasn't trying to be secretive at all <laughs> yeah she, and she, she was... has she had real contempt for captain Giorgio yeah. and for the federation and and she still she still does have a lot of contempt for her other self and you know i've watched a lot of doctor who the doctors always hate each other this makes sense to me <laughs> so i just i like i like this episode was such a valentine to those of us who liked that stuff in the first season and were disappointed in the second season yeah yeah, and it's. I don't want to say that season three is all about correcting the mistakes of season two, but it does feel like a, a very different, more self confident show, and a show that is much more aware of what worked in season one and what didn't work in season two. Mm. A good way of putting it. Good job. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm trying to be diplomatic because apparently there are people out there who really do like season two. That's fine. <laughs> They're allowed to. They're allowed to. <laughs> Again, everyone is different. And and if other people responded very positively to that season, they're probably going to love Strange New Worlds, right? So, yay. Right. Yay for them. Right. You get I a also think thing. that season three is course correcting from season two in a way that doesn't shit all over the developments of season two. Mm. You know, no one is going, oh, this never happened. Like, Everything that was part of season two is still really important. Yes. 
And, and that's not how I feel in season two, looking back at season one. Mm. Yes, exactly. So the only other thing I really want to say is how great Hugh Colbert looks in his red evil uniform. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I'm so glad that Gersha got to bust that one out because I know she designed it back in season one and then he ended up not really having a part in the Mirror Universe plotline. Uh, I do have to say it was weird having those red uniforms in the background because I kept catching glimpses of them and thinking it was the movie era <laughs> uniform. Mm, fair. Mm. But yeah, uh, all, all the Mirror team looked great. It was really cool to see Human, Ariam and get Hannah Cheeseman back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I'm intrigued that uh, Detmar and Michael seem to be BFFs in this universe yep. and Oo is... Uh, a Jojo partisan. Yes. And it makes me wonder if they were close friends on the Shen show until Michael's mutiny and they've never recovered. And that is like a whole story that I've decided is happening in the background. <laughs> I really I like the the whole the whole spectacle of the circus part and with every day all the little furtive glances and and raised eyebrows and everybody sort of saying, ha ha ha, it's going to happen. (laughs) That was really, really, really fun. Oh yeah. And I loved seeing, I loved seeing the propaganda version of Jojo's life (laughs) and this claim that she brings love and peace to the galaxy when every single person in that room knows that is a big fat lie. I know. But it's just so interesting that this part of their culture does exist and there is this need to promote themselves as something other than what they are. It's, it's, a, it's a brilliant episode that I really enjoyed and I'm looking forward to part two, but I'm also scared of part two. So. <laughs> I, yeah. Also, just before we wrap up, uh, what we've been saying for the last couple of weeks about Michael being unable to let people choose <laughs> it comes up again and this time it's Vance and Giorgio saying you you really do need to let people have the autonomy that you yourself crave and I think this is such a wonderful character flaw for Michael to have because it makes perfect sense mm-hmm. from it, it's her, her strength turned into a weakness which is my idea of a good character flaw absolutely mm. yep and I She's growing so much too. It's re- it's just good for for all of these characters to have all of that. I agree, and I also I almost wonder if maybe Michael and Jojo do need to separate. Ideally, not forever, but that seems to be the way it's going. But for their own growth, Michael needs to learn to get on without any Jojo, mm-hmm. and and Jojo needs to continue her. Re- redemption arc without Michael as a crutch mm-hmm. as the angel on her shoulder as she <laughs> suggests angel Michael that made me happy as someone who was, oh. could not stop talking about Michael and Gabriel's angel names the entirety of the first season so I was like yes so great <laughs> okay I'm done all right Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at antimatterpod and on Facebook. 
search for antimatter pod. We took out the part about posting cat pictures, but I'm gonna post a cat picture this week. Oh, good idea. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next week when we'll be talking about the next episode of Star Trek next Star Trek Discovery, the conclusion <laughs> of Terra Firma. I am pretty sure we'll still be evil antimatter pod next week. Evil antimatter pod. That reminds me, I, I had ideas for an April Fool's episode, but we can discuss that offline. <laughs>